You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, everybody, and yes, welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian. With me, as always, a man whose probability for making the playoff podcast or the podcast playoffs has increased significantly over the last few weeks. It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Hey, I don't have bad opinions on um, comic-based movies. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, apparently, I do. Uh, and I know you want to talk about that on a recorded segment, but I refuse. Uh, it's off topic. It's disrespectful. Your your thoughts on uh, the DC universe, and uh, you know, I won't I won't subject our listeners to that. You, uh, you, you do you deal with how you have to. You, you, that's you, right. You go and hide. Go that's and hide. Right. That's right. Uh, I won't let <laughs> I won't let these latest films bring me down. Um, that, that is certainly the case. So, um, we're back. We took a little break, sort of, I mean, we just kind of shifted it half a week. MLS is in, uh, international week and only six teams played. Uh, we'll talk about those games with, uh, as much detail as they deserve, which isn't a ton. And, um, probably the most exciting thing on the radar this week is we got to check in once again on our good old men's national team. Um, they played Brazil. Um, they did not, they did not beat Brazil. Uh, they have a match against Mexico. It'll probably kick off at some point when we're recording. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get done. Hopefully we're going to try to get done before that, um, I don't know. Like, uh, <clears throat> I got to tell you, like, I honestly am still at this place where I find it impossible to have any substantive opinions about things regarding the men's national team. Oh, no, I totally I mean, they are not the let's just be like completely honest. The U.S. women's national team is so much more interesting. So I <laughs> someone talked about like we, we were uh, talking in uh analysis evolved uh, slack or you know asa slack and uh someone was like hey when can we start doing stuff with the u.s women's national team and i was like why it's so less interesting because they're actually good yeah we don't <laughs> like, have to offer any suggestions to the united states women's national team they've they seem to have figured out more or less what to do i, I know that there are some people that that have a lot of thoughts out there in the woso sphere um i'm certainly not qualified um to me, it looks like just the United States women's national team is just just continuing to do so great. Well, I mean, that's its own brand in and of itself. I mean, there's so much just like the men is <clears throat> a thousand feet deep. I think the women's game is even further deep because there's so much uh, less press about it. And so that's it, it takes more effort to get involved with it. And there's a lot of really smart people in it. And, and so um, I try not to dabble too much because I don't want to diminish uh, partly because I don't want to diminish uh, what they have, and also I only have so much bandwidth. But uh, th th there are can, definitely yeah. uh, some uh, some really great things that are that are there. Oh yeah, for sure. My lack of ability to weigh in substantively on that is is completely on my own, and I mean I can barely barely weigh in substantively on this stuff, <laughs> much less go a whole nother route. Um, but you know what we should do is we should have somebody on that can. 
actually, now that I just thought about this, because there are many great people, and it would be really interesting to hear about how things are moving data-wise and analysis-wise in, in that segment of the game as it continues to kind of grow as much as it has over the last few years. Oh, definitely. I, I really agree. And actually, I have, I have a few suggestions like that uh, on that uh, thought that I, I'll, I'll get with you offline. But uh, yeah. turning turning uh, the sphere back to uh, the U.S. men's national team, the sad, uh, I guess it's not too sad. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of bright spots uh, on the horizon. Um, so long as you, you look at what's going on on the field. Some really interesting players that are developing, and that's really cool. But the bottom line is right now, these games don't matter. And that's partly why it's hard to get really involved and invested with this team right now. I mean, Brazil didn't matter. I mean, it didn't. That game, they they could lose and, you know what, yay. You know what, uh, they played a team that was more or less uh, one of the top five in the world uh, with their lineup this this past week. And yeah, on top of that, they're fielding an interim manager uh, with younger players that are still developing. And while they're promising, um, they're also uh, basically crippled with a set of tactics that are A, probably going to change, and B, didn't seem like there was a lot of instruction anyways. Yeah, and I mean, I kind of feel like Brazil was sort of in second gear most of that time anyway. Like, I think that could have gone a lot worse than it did. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of like, I sort of thought of them as like the big guy holding a little guy out by his head while the other little guys just kind of swing in and you're like, that's cute. And that's sort of a sad negative way to kind of look at this current state of things, but it is just because it's not. I don't know what this is. Like, how am I supposed to just be like to weigh in and then like drop like hot takes about this interim manager, these sort of experimental players and this sort of experimental formation against a team that's kind of sort of trying and is Brazil. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really think that there's a lot that we can glean from that. I mean, I, I, I think it, it serves well because the only real takes I can take from it are almost mostly optimistic because I can just say like, Oh, some of these players look pretty good. Um, you know, and anything that was bad, we can sort of just wash away with, well, but that's probably not how it would be if it mattered or, you know, it's going to change in the next few months. Yeah, no, I, and I, look, I really like, like, uh, my opinion on Weston McKinney uh, definitely came away even further. Like, I, I like him a lot. Uh, I think he's a very good uh, center midfielder that said, you know, I'm really glad the U.S. didn't win. And, um, <laughs> you know, you know we that's have weird. to listen to... That, that's Go a ahead. good point. That's a really good point. It's a weird thing to say, and I never really contextualized that thought myself, but I think you're exactly right. Like, if they had won, that... I assume this is where you're going to go with this. This would have just set... Well, it would have just been, like, a false sense of security. Like, we would have just, like, said, okay, well, this is what we do now. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, not just this is what we do, but it's going to be chasing that, um, that result for... Of uh, probably the next f four and a half years. I mean, it, it's kind of how uh, in with Jurgen Klinsmann, he had a couple of really big, you know, quote unquote, wins in Europe early on in his tenure that seemed to kind of, you know, quote unquote, again, straighten the ship, right the ship, and they 
kind of seem to be like chasing those outcomes forever after. Um, we'd have to be listening to, you know, is Dave uh, Sarkin, the, is he someone that should get the job now that, you know, he beat Brazil and there, it'd just be intolerable. It'd be awful. I think this is kind of how Steve Sampson got the job back in the day with something like this too. Like way back in the day when he was just a caretaker manager as well. See, like he won a couple of these games that were just sort of like, in the grand scheme of things, were pretty, eh. You know, but they got the results, and it was sort of like, why are we going to mess with what's broken? And you're definitely right. Like, Klinsman, like, so many of, like, as soon as it became apparent that things weren't working, you know, like, it's still, like, there was this sense that people were still going, like, yeah, but he beat Germany. He beat the Netherlands. Like, that's, that's what, that's what we want. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I'm just, I, 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 I think that was my greatest fear was something like that was going to happen during that game and, and something that just really wasn't going to be replicable uh, was going to occur and people were going to be chasing that. And, you know, uh, that's one thing, especially when we're talking about one game scenarios, people are really, um, man, they get really staunch and, and, in one game results, they, they're very, uh, they're very firm in their beliefs that, you know, uh, that, that, that was a good game. And, you know, that shows the talent that, and, and not to take away from, you know, uh, games in which the U S has one game. I mean, Clint Dempsey scoring against Italy is, is really a firm memory. I was deployed. I was in Djibouti and I, I remember just being over the roof. I, it was like in the middle of the night, I think when I was watching the game because yeah, with how it was, but I mean, so they won one nothing. There was no way that we like just like looking at it practically from this. You know, if you were to replay that game, th- there's no way they win that game. But maybe two out of ten times. And contextually speaking, like that was a team that was more or less formed. Like there was the team. Like this is different. Like this is sort of like still. I don't know. It's it, it's like messing with the the test tubes a little bit more than like enjoying the enjoying the fun or you know the recipe, not enjoying the cake. Uh, I I agree, and it's especially problematic. I think for national teams to do this like focus on one thing because they just don't play that many games. All things considered, you know, a club team has like thirty, forty, fifty games a year to look at. Um, you know, in a national team, you, you know, you're looking at less than a quarter of that. So it, it, you, you definitely do tend to get this hyper-focus on like the really good and really bad results. And I think that teams can, and, and, and federations and fans can kind of like significantly overreact, um, you know, to results either way on, on, on these small spectrums, you know? No, I, I very much agree. And, and that being said, there was some things that despite everything that came about, there's a couple things that I did take away, right? And the first thing is that I... I, I <laughs> take this with a grain of salt um i have some doubts about will trap on the international stage Uh-oh. and that's not to say that will trap is bad um i think will trap in columbus is really good i think will trap in a pressing uh system going forward is probably not a really smart idea i don't think that that lineup really didn't play the three of those, uh, you know, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, and Will Trapp. That didn't help the three of them, right? 
It didn't, no. Um, that, that being said, we kind of pulled something out of it in the sense that, you know what, maybe Will Trapp isn't the best third center midfielder in that grouping. Which is weird because he's probably like the second or third best center midfielder overall in the pool. Um, I don't but know. He, but yeah. it's just in that, he, he, in doesn't, that he doesn't press. Yeah. He doesn't have that, no, he's that not. motor. And that's okay. There's some players that are really good about that, you know, especially if you look over at uh, certain teams that play a possession-oriented style. Um, he'd be really good. If we're going to have 60% of the possession, he's someone that needs to be in the midfield for the U.S., and there's going to be those games. There's going to be those CONCACAF games to where the U.S. is going to dominate possession. And he's going to be perfect in those scenarios. Yeah, there seems to be... I think that they, I wonder if there are, maybe going forward, like if this is kind of going to be an evolution for the United States to have two systems that they can kind of deploy um, at will and uh, competently... And you're definitely right. You're definitely right. I don't see him as a guy that you want in your high press situation. But, you know, for his particular skill set, I don't know that there's anybody really in the pool that does it better. Um, and, I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, no, I would I would totally agree. I totally 100% agree with you. And so I think we have to, as fans and as people that sit on the outsides, uh, kind of outside analysis, we have to be realistic with – just because a player doesn't fit one aspect of a team's uh, present tactics doesn't mean he's worth throwing away. Wool Trap, I think it could still be useful. But that being said, who do you insert into that trifecta of Weston McKinney Adams? Um, you know, obviously, I know you're going to throw immediately Christian Roldan, and I think that he'd be excellent in that position. But you also still have Michael Bradley, and I think Michael Bradley still could be useful in that role. Um, Kellen Acosta is an option as well. So is uh, Marky Delgado, who I think would be really interesting in that role. Luis Felipe Fernandez. I knew you. I'm so excited <laughs> you said that because I, 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 I was, oh, I left space for you and you just filled it perfectly. <laughs> I, um, I don't disagree. And, and here's why he's such an event oriented. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. He's such an event oriented person and player that I really feel he'd be perfect in that role to where he has very specific duties. He doesn't have a laundry list. You have two things that you have to do. I think that somebody like that, and maybe not him specifically, but I think somebody like that, if he continues on that trajectory, would fit perfectly. Yeah, um, definitely like a nice little ball hockey kind of motory guy for sure. Like he, he is that. Um, that's so far down the road. I, I know that, that um, it's early days for him. <laughs> I mean, always... I, but, but you say that's early days, but you look, at, he was the San Antonio Player of the Year at 21. At 22, he basically plays his way into contention for San Jose um, after spending the year at their USL affiliate. And it, I mean, like, he, he got... He got pulled a little early in the last game, but I think San Jose was just kind of throwing up their hands at that point. Um, but other than that, you know, he's kind of just walked into that lineup and been ever-present. So <clears throat> he's definitely a guy, and I, I'm not the only person that's that's noticed this kid as much as I like to pretend I am. Um, 
and you know there there has been like national team buzz about him in the past you know as he was kind of um a younger player so it, it's not impossible it, it's just one thing that you know as we're experimenting with things you know it would not be insane to me to see a player like that kind of get a look in um but but certainly i think that's more for you know in the next year or two and maybe not something immediate right now yeah, no, I I would agree with that. Actually, you know, I think a January call up wouldn't be too bad. I wouldn't be opposed to that, especially when you're talking about you can't fit Weston McKinney in. Uh, Tyler Adams is probably gone. Uh, might might be an okay opportunity to stick maybe him and Marky Delgado in with Christian Roldan and just see how those those three would work in a high press situation. Um, so kind of talking about back to you know there was two things that I kind of noticed and, and pulled away Will Trap being one of them the second one was Bobby Wood and and look it's really hard with a defense such as Brazil to kind of like take anything away from an attacking uh, perspective uh, it was it, it's really hard just because really anyone besides Weston McKinney didn't play really well in the attack Julian Green really did not um Bobby Wood, again, did not. But Bobby Wood's kind of taken over the sole share of the striking responsibilities, especially with you got uh, um, Josie Altador on some sort of leper colony um, right now. And so you kind of have to figure out, well, what's next? Because I don't think Bobby Wood is is working. And while it's... It's really harsh to judge him on this scenario, and I, I would love to. I need to go back and take a look at his past games, but he had one shot from almost 30 yards out, which was blocked. I don't see that he actually had an official touch in the 18 yard box, though I can go back and, and double check that watching the, some video. But he didn't have any possessions lost in the in the like. He didn't have the failed pass attempts. He didn't have a successful pass. He had zero touches in the 18-yard box. And with the way that this team is is transforming, the way the U.S. men's national team is kind of mimicking almost a New York Red Bulls, what they need to do is find themselves basically a Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, an analogous type individual persona, and stick him in that. And part of me kind of feels like that might be somebody like C.J. Sapong. I know that a lot of people immediately are like throwing up in their mouth at me saying that, but my eyes just widened. I mean, it just makes sense on so many different levels, not because CJ Sapong can is a really successful finisher or scorer, but the dude's going to make opportunities and create opportunities. He's a hell of a passer. Um, and he's extremely versatile. I still think that's Josie Altador's job. I think he's the best person for that for that right now. Is he still in four years? Let's talk in four years. Let's not worry about four freaking years. Let's talk about right now because with the Nations League starting next year, I'd be really embarrassed if this U.S. men's national team, and I don't think it's really going to happen, but I also didn't think that it was possible for the U.S. not to qualify for the World Cup. Let's talk about what happens if the U.S. gets relegated in Nations League down to B. I mean, seriously, that would be a huge blow to this organization. You think it's bad now? We need guys that are going to score goals, and Bobby Wood can probably do that against some of the lower echelon teams of CONCACAF 
League A, and we'll see who else is in there. You know, Canada absolutely destroyed uh, U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, what did they score, like 15 goals? It was like 105, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny because Bobby Wood is a very interesting player. I A lot of this kind of goes back to like his 2015-16 year. You know, he was in Bundesliga 2, and he had 17 goals, and it was like a good... Yeah, that was a really good return, especially for an American playing abroad. But, you know, then, then you know, he ends up at, at Omberger and, you know, it's like five goals and two goals in the next two seasons. Like, that's just not like, and he's never been a shooting guy. Like, you know, it's always less than two shots per game. Like, I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't really know why he would be your first choice kind of going forward. I mean, I think, you know, he would obviously do better in, in different you know, a different league. I know, I know the Bundesliga is obviously like a tough competition to kind of judge yourself on. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting thing. I, I think one name that you didn't mention uh, is obviously uh, Timothy Weah, I think is probably the guy they're going to go with and probably the guy that they're looking at towards the future with an eye for that um, as someone that could be that like Bradley Wright Phillips-esque, um, you know, just kind of big motor, speedy, uh, clever kind of player. And I really, really like that kid a lot. Um, can, you know, can I, was, I admit something right now? Yeah, sure. I don't think if I've seen more than thirty minutes of him actually play straight, and so I don't. Yeah. And I, I, I no, don't I, say that to say like he's bad or he's good. I just have no opinion on him whatsoever. I've seen some of his moves and like the whole thread on Twitter about him having sauce is great and I love it. Um, I, I, I generally don't have an opinion and it, even more so because I saw that Twitter thread on, you know, his skill moves. I, I refuse to have an opinion <laughs> until I have, you know, some it's solid actual... 60, 80 minute games to kind of line my opinion up on. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's done really, really well throughout the U.S. youth system. I mean, he plays for PSG. Like, like he's he's a, he's a legit talented kid. Like he's not going to. I, I, I oh, see especially him... with him not going on loan, right? Like, the fact that he's going to stay at PSG and earn minutes, like, that A, that's ballsy, and it's awesome. Um, B, it's really interesting that PSG has enough faith in him to be like, no, we want you to stay, too. Yeah, France tried to, uh, France wanted them in his, uh, yeah. The PSG's head coach, Thomas, uh, and forgive me if I'm going to butcher this, Thomas Tuchel. Tuchel. I mean, you know, the history that he has with Christian Pulisic bears a lot of fruit uh, with the U.S. and, and the fact that he's, you know, given uh, young U.S. players an opportunity um, is also uh, super, you know, promising. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different peripheral knowledge based things. But as far as um, not relying, relying strictly on scouting reports, but, you know, what I've seen with my eyes, being able to collect some some of my uh, personal data points on it. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have a lot of opinions on it. So if he ends up being a striker, that's great. I, I, I'm honestly kind of interested to see if he doesn't become a winger. Yeah, there is always the risk of him becoming a winger just because... That's... The risk? <laughs> that sounds overtly negative. Yeah. Oh, I don't like it when you take strikers and put them on the wing. I I, I mean, it doesn't always... I guess there's... It, I, I guess there are examples of it working out, but it just kind of feels like... Uh, oh, he's fast and he can dribble, so he's a winger. This this sounds like uh, Jesse yeah, the... Zardes' uh, symptoms. Yeah, and it just really... Yeah, but he... 
you want those dynamic qualities in someone up front too. Like you want to, I don't know. It just always seems like um, every time I see a, a young promising striker, you know, kind of slotted out wide because they're young and they're fast and they can dribble. I die a little bit inside. And so I, I really hope it doesn't happen to Timmy Weah either. Um, but I, I, I'm, I, I'm, confident i'm confident that the, he, he is going to remain um up top i think that that is that is where the u.s sees him i i really do think that this is a player um i know the ussf has failed in the past at, at, at this sort of thing but i really think they see the value in this kid i really do think they see him as the asset he is and could be um and, and i i am confident even possibly falsely so that they're going to take care of him and that they're going well, to treat and, him and right the amount of effort that they've done to recruit him and then also, you know, you have Josh uh, Sargent, who's, of course, doing good things over in, you know, Germany. You know, he's, he's scored, I think, twice in the last uh, in the last week and a half. So, um, yeah, again, there's not a lot of data to, to really tell us much about, you know, how they'll match up in this system. And again, that's kind of my issue with Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood, I think, is a pretty... A decent, if not above average striker within this pool, uh, just looking at his abilities purely uh, as, you know, what he's capable of doing. He's probably an above average striker. He's better than, you know, what I, a couple of guys I mentioned previously in like CJ Sapong. That being said, when you're looking at like completely orchestrating a tactical, um, strategy such as what they're doing with a high press and you can again go to look at some of these teams that have instituted a high press they've kind of gone away from the, those traditional uh, striker types and I think you're right Timothy Way just kind of in my mind's eye again I haven't seen a lot of him he probably fits that persona on how that they would want to to act um, Josh Sargent, uh, especially with his experience uh, at the lower levels and the fact that they've been a very high-press team in the U20s um, and U19s, that probably is another good fit as well. Um, but I, that's why I say and mention some of these lower-level, um, less thought-of uh, U.S. strikers in this scenario, right? Well, we need them all. We need, we need everybody. <laughs> like this is a this is an all hands on deck kind of situation for the men's national team. So, if CJ Sapong wants to make a late career breakout and become a Bradley Wright Phillips esque player in his thirties, then I welcome him with open arms. Um, I think it would be crazy not to. So, yeah, uh, as we all should. Yeah, I, I you know my big hope with this, and I think you would agree, is just simply that the net cast is is wide and expansive, and uh, you know no stone goes unturned as we look to kind of get this program. Back on the track it needs to be. You know, we're not asking you to win a World Cup, but you, you got to make them. you got to make those World Cups. Um, all right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's turn our thoughts uh, away from the international game and move a bit more domestically here. Um, and let's, let's do my favorite segment of the week, um, Stat of the Week. And this week, the Stat of the Week is brought to us actually by Harrison Crow. So I'm, I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, do you want me to do the theme this week? <laughs> Actually, that would be really entertaining. Okay, I think it's like doop a doop a doop a doop a doop a doop. Stat of the week. I I think I think you nailed it. I think you should do that from now on. I I got um, the. <laughs> I'm very good at interpreting music. So uh, I, we kind of talked about this offline. Uh, I'm sure there's been a lot of Twitter buzz about it. Uh, NYC last week had a 
had a tough. Um, they drew a single point from two games over four days. Um, they lost to New England at home. They drew 1-1 away to a D.C. team that uh, I think they had maybe 15 people on there. Did they officially have 15 players listed on Saturday? I think they got 15, but I think like two or three of them were keepers. Yeah, at least two of them were keepers. So, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a great it wasn't a great showing from uh, NYC, especially with, uh, you know, under the circumstances that were kind of rendered. You would have thought that it, it should have been an easy four points. Uh, despite the fact that you're you're cramming two tough games back to back, and I say two tough games, I mean these are these are games that um, these should not be tough games. Realistically, you're probably going to have a playing game with one of those two teams, yeah. DC United <laughs> or New England, right? If you're going to be NYCFC in what we've come to expect NYCFC to be, these are not these should not be tough games for you. Well, and right now they're pretty much, according to our uh, to our the American Soccer Analysis, uh, pr- uh, what is, what is it? The I, I don't know prediction if, simulator module. Yeah, the prediction simulator. So yes. uh, Matthias simulator. was kind yes. enough to to finally release those. Um, as he, he he usually does about the first two weeks of September uh, every year, and. DC United, Montreal, and uh, New England are all kind of scattered in that final six seed spot. So being that you have two of these games, New England kind of had to show, or excuse me, NYC kind of needed to show out. And, um, you know, they, they didn't. And uh, this despite the fact they, you know, had two and a half uh, expected goal difference uh, over those two games. Uh, which is pretty crazy to think about, right? Yeah. Um, usually, that is a really um, or a really good opportunity to to come away, and not just two and a half uh, expected goal difference, but they threw up over five expected goals between those two games. So, I mean, it's not like they were they were really light in uh, in creating opportunities. That being said. Kind of the narrative that's that's turned out of this weekend is that um, even though they had such a high expected goal, a lot of that was coming from low leverage opportunities, and it, there was a lack of really good opportunities for NYC. Big chances is kind of the buzzword that you know Opta centers it around. Um, and, and obviously, we know that there's other uh, more systemic issues that are going around with NYC. But really, um, yeah. the the crux of the big chances and the lack of them uh, was what kind of caused me to do a little bit of research. And but before we kind of get there, we need to realize that these half chances, these these opportunities of less than you know. Z- 0.07 or you know 7% as the benchmark was put by Doyle uh, Matt Doyle uh, MLS analyst uh, armchair analyst um, they, they shouldn't be dismissed I mean we do I do a, I shouldn't say I it's really you me and Drew we put together lowered expectations on a weekly basis and every week there's a goal of at least less than 2% probability of of going in that ends up as our uh, lowest opportunity that was scored as a goal. And we're talking about 7%. 
I mean, it, it's 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 kind of silly to me to say, well, that those chances are, you know, they're half chances. If you have a dozen or so half chances, and really right now um, we're talking about closer to 16, um, those add up over time. And yeah, okay, um, maybe they don't equate to one goal in one game, but over the course, I mean, we... I've talked about this with Sporting Kansas City uh, time and time again. You're giving your, you're putting yourself in a chance to score a lot of goals at once with just finding opportunities. Finding opportunities is half the battle, and even even those opportunities themselves can often be better um, than how they're perceived on paper, depending on how those defenders are positioned. Right prior to the shot, it, it's it, sometimes they really are what makes a shot 2% versus, you know, 10% probability. And that's a huge swing. I know it's, it, when we throw numbers into this, it sounds really uh, kind of, I don't know, it, it sounds, it doesn't sound really meaningful sometimes. Even though we're throwing numbers, you think numbers make it more meaningful. But in fact, sometimes I think listening to this and, and re-listening some of the past podcasts, when we associate numbers, it seems to get lost. But 8% difference in probability when we're talking about a single opportunity is huge. It's tremendous. I think that, yeah, I think a lot of people may not... Because, yeah, well, you are. You're talking about probability. And, and anything you can do to increase your probability in a game where you're trying to make a certain outcome come is, is valuable. And an 8% switch is tremendous advantage, especially in, in this context. Right. And, and so just the point of this is accumulation, whether it's at 7% or whether you're talking about huge, big chances that are, you know, over 20%, regardless, um, those, that accumulation increases your odds and, uh, you know, you're more favorable to score than you would be if you weren't taking them. Right. And so um, that's Getting that out of the way and looking at both of these games, NYC created a big chance in each game, uh, which is Opta's definition. And it, it, we don't incorporate them within our expected goal model. I don't know. I, I feel like we at least repeat this a few times over the course of the year to make it very transparent. We don't incorporate it because it's very subjective, right? It's it, it's determined by the person that's keying um the opportunity in at the time and cataloging the shot it's their definition so i mean everybody is what is a big chance to me might not be a big chance to you right ian uh i would agree and i think that this kind of speaks to i mean this is just again one of the uh deficiencies of, of expected goals that we have which is that you know it, it thus far it doesn't take a lot of context into account. You know, when we do lowered expectations, we see a lot of these chances that on paper, you know, if we just look at the number, they look like, oh my gosh, that was a huge chance. But in reality, we know that the striker was on his backside and, you know, he managed to kind of tap it with his ankle and it went off his head and his butt and just kind of rolled it to the side. And like, you know, in our eyes, we saw that actually wasn't that big of a chance. It was kind of a, a happenstance, a thing that sort of occurred. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there's value. I, I do see some value in this because I think for right now, and so there becomes a way that we can kind of codify this, um, you know, I, I think that the, it's not without value that, that there's a human sort of looking at these chances and saying, okay, that was a real one. 
Um, because I think they can get that right. And I think well-trained people can get that right. But all that being said, I, I agree. It's not something we can use right now because we're not going to hire anybody to go through <laughs> and, and eyeball every one of these chances that occur over the course of a week. Um, I don't know. Maybe potential interns out there, if that sounds interesting to you, uh, we could give it a pilot program. But but I agree. I, I do agree. I, I see some value in it, but I don't think it really helps us at all. And I don't, I don't see it in our data set. And I think that's a good call in our hands. Well, and I don't think necessarily that there. I I think you nailed it perfectly. There's there's a reason to have it, and there's a reason without. I love that there's an expected goal model out there that incorporates it, and I really appreciate the fact that we do it differently um, for the sake of just being different, right? Um, I I think there is elements to that, and you know, there's there's different things that we vary on, uh, both with optas, with stats bombs. There's uh, even with uh, five thirty eight. There's there's really small differences, and that's okay. I think that there's value in that, and I think that instead of trying to be uh, more similar, I think we need to be more transparent about our uh, dissimilarities. And so, uh, if I can be preachy about that for for yeah. one second, but well, um, I get I get some people have proprietary stuff, and that's you know that if yeah. That's that's just a business model and a business decision, and I, I respect that. I understand that. But, yeah, but no, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, agreed, agreed with that. But uh, go, going back to both these games, NYC created a big opportunity with both of those, uh, each respective game, or from looking at from our perspective, uh, they created two shots, each worth more than uh, 0.2 expected goals. Um this information itself just is like blah, right? It just hits a freaking wall and it kind of explodes and it's like, what does this even mean? It's paint on a wall and there's really, I mean, there's, it doesn't really tell you anything about it except for the fact uh, that it occurred, right? It's like this team scored two goals. Well, is two goals in that time frame good? Is it bad? Give me some sort of you know reference point for this. So going back to March to July, NYC basically averaged two shots per game worth more than expe- uh, 0.2 expected goals per game, which is basically what they did this weekend. Um, looking at it back from August until September, which is kind of the bulk of where their most recent woes started, uh, they still averaged two shots worth uh, of 0.2 expected goals per game. Um, The takeaway from this is really that their high leverage opportunities haven't changed. They're still the same team creating high leverage opportunities. They're just doing it in probably, I would say, a less functional manner. Yeah, I mean, just this game against DC was, I mean, it was, an, it was nuts. I mean, they, they recorded like 30 shots. It was, uh, there was no way that they shouldn't have won this game. Like, they, 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 they like, they're I, just, I, did you it, see it, on Twitter the, the conversation between, uh, uh, Jamon and, uh, uh, ASA uh, guy and, uh, as well as Elliot? I believe they put out, uh, a really cool, uh, expected goal. Uh, what is it? Expected goal possession or expected possession goals? Yeah, uh, they put out a really neat heartbeat of that game that basically had ninety percent of <laughs> NYC and like this one small sliver about the fifty-fifth minute or whenever DC scored, yeah. and that was it. It it was absurd. I mean, 
DC had over 50 clearances. I mean, it was not like this wasn't a game. You play this game a hundred times with this same output statistically, and DC wins or NYCNC wins this a hundred times. Like I'm not even sure how DC wins it the once uh, out of a hundred, but apparently they do. And uh, so that that happens. That's that's that that's bad luck. But I think that we've seen kind of a downtrend with NYCFC, and I think that's kind of what the heart of what we're getting to here is that there's this perception that. Uh, since the coaching change, maybe NYCFC isn't so NYCFC as they were earlier this year. Am I right? Yeah, and, and look, it's very obvious from just even the na- uh, the most naive person, they're not as good as what they were at the beginning. And I think it's all right to come to that conclusion. Obviously, they're still as talented. They haven't lost talent. In fact, if anything, they've improved upon it. And, you know, there's even the outside shot that they might even get a couple of guys. Uh, specifically, there is rumor, although I, albeit it's very uh, whispers that Herrera might be back in time for uh, a pl- the back end of the playoffs. Um, That's uh, that would be a huge gain for them. He's he was a tremendous loss. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that I mean it, it's not even just the fact that he was immensely talented. It was the fact that he was really the best at doing what he did, and now they have no one else on the roster to really replicate that. Yeah, I mean they have Ring. I mean Ring can kind of play that tackly defensive midfielder role too. But it was just an interesting like that was so very them to have the both of them kind of patrolling those areas. Um, you know they've kind of what give James Sand to look at against DC. Um, you know I, as a player kids guy Harrison, I, I think you have to be pretty pleased to see Sands uh, play. I, I was <laughs> just glad to see Sands play, although I, I don't think he played that much, right? Uh, no, he. I mean, in that game, he he, he started. He got he got eighty one. Oh, did he start? I didn't. Yeah, I he got eighty one minutes. That. Came I just off saw... for Jonathan Lewis. So there you go. Yo, I I, I did I did recall that I had they a listen. conversation with Dummy Run about that. You know, but... it, it, yeah, and I just kind of see like, if, I don't know. I I kind of wonder if there's anything I, I'm curious about. It's just that like, how much injuries have kind of forced their hand in some of these situations. Like they brought in these guys like Castellanos and uh, Eloy Amagat. Um, and like, are these guys going to be big players? Like, are these going to be a big part of this run in? Like, I, I don't know. It, it, it's something that, that interests me. And, and especially with, gosh, I think they had Monterita at center. Like they just, again, they kind of left Jonathan Lewis on the bench, McNamara on the bench. It seems like there are guys they already had there that maybe could have, I don't know. They could have been leveraged more as the season went on, but you know, that's just our kind of constant frustration with MLS. So. Well, um, and it's always easy to make that second guess. I think oh, it, yeah. what's really difficult is to be in the moment and make that decision. Oh, because sure. at what point in the turning of the season is it, hey, I need to bench this guy and make my team. Uh, and, and, and as much as I love Jonathan Lewis, as much as, you know, Tommy Mack interests me from time to time, I think that you <laughs> subbing them in is making your team probably worse in the short term. And that is something that a coach does not actively get enough practice in uh, in saying, I'm going to make my team actively worse in the short term right. so that I in know, the long term we can be better. And I can't help but wonder if that's something that both the Red Bulls have done and at times sometimes uh, some of the other teams like Sporting Kansas City have done and been really good about um, at least this season. Yeah, no, it's it's um, 
It's definitely true, and I, I don't think NYCFC is down and out in the grand scheme of things because we do have a league where you just got to make the playoffs, and they're obviously going to do that. Um, you know, but I, I I think that supporter shield race is is probably run for them. Um, I think they did a really good job of staying in as long as they did, considering how much they missed David Villa. Um, yeah, it's 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 they're a team I'm definitely going to have an eye on going into the close of the season because seeding for them I think is going to be important, kind of like as they sort of line up their postseason goals. So I don't think they're at a stage right now where they can just say, eh, it probably doesn't matter that much for the run in. Um, and yeah, depending on like who these guys, if, if Herrera comes back, I think you know you're looking at a, a significantly different team. Well, and one thing we should probably advertise here coming up is over the next six weeks, we're going to do a deep dive into these playoff teams, right? We are. We are. Uh, we'll see if we, we're going to maybe start that next week or <laughs> if we got on a little bit long here. Um, but but we definitely, um, yeah, we're going to we're going to be doing like playoff analysis, teams on the bubble. Um, and this is also a good time to once again kind of plug that uh up on the interactive tables on the website, we've got the uh, probability stuff that uh, Matthias Kilowatts has done for us. So uh, go check that out. I, I think they, they look pretty good. They passed the eye test for me. Um, and they certainly have created an appetizing um, kind of fixture, like as we kind of look in at the east and, and grabbing those last spots. And um, I know that uh, <laughs> we're going to try to figure out one of these teams, Atlanta or Red Bulls, are, are going to get to uh, play this this last seed team. Um, and it's, it's interesting right now to kind of guess who that's going to be. Well, and, and, you know, real fast to kind of close my thoughts on NYC real fast, we're going to, they're actually creating more opportunities, low leverage opportunities than SKC over the last six weeks, which I think is really interesting. And Dominic really definitely took some time to, um, uh, his post-game conversations with DC United basically pointed back at that and said, hey, this is exactly, we are exactly who we want to be. And I think that's really interesting now to have two different teams in MLS that are that are actively uh, scoping and, and trying to, uh, to leverage that. So anyways, uh, so looking at our wonderful... Uh, playoff probability uh, on the interactive graphs that Matthias has put out. Uh, as you referenced before, I so rudely had to finish my thought process on NYC. Um, we pretty much have two teams, Atlanta and New York Red Bulls. Who wins the Shield, Ian? All right, that's it, folks. You guys have a great <laughs> night and uh, yeah, drive safely. Take your waitresses. Mean, yeah, no, I, I don't... Um, I I'd like to say Red Bulls. I, I I just the Red Bulls have more, um, personally for me more appeal. Just they're 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 a team that's been around a lot longer. They're a team I really like. Uh, how they how they've developed their players. They're they're a team, um, you know, whose system I admire. They're a team that you know have had coaches like just or Jesse Marsh is one of my favorite coaches. You know, um, so I I really, you know, I would love to say that that that, that it should be the Red Bulls, um. You know, but just I think realistically, you know, you got to just is Atlanta going to slow down enough? Um, it's going to be close either way. I mean, it could go either way. I just think that, that Atlanta's done. It's it, there's just too much there right now. 
Uh, the only thing I could see going against Atlanta is, again, like they haven't really managed Almiron's minutes super well. Um, like he still played most of them. And last year, we saw him kind of tire out a bit towards the end of the year. Uh, Martinez has stayed very, very healthy this season, which has obviously been, you know, the main catalyst behind their 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 you know great run here and, and their ability to stay at the top. So, you know, assuming that he still looks ready to go, and I have no reason to think he's not based on watching him play. He still seems to have plenty of gas. Um, I don't know. It, numerically speaking, I, I I think it could go either way. But just if you're asking for my gut, um, just looking at numbers, just looking at the teams, I you know I do think it's going to be Atlanta that they, that they edge it out here at the end. So, looking at there is uh, the Jeff uh, Sagren from uh, USA Today. He has uh, strength of schedule up. Um, and I honestly don't, do not know if I'm reading this correctly. However, I do believe he has, uh, Atlanta ranked 21st in, uh, strength of schedule coming up, uh, enti- implying that maybe they have a rough stretch of it. And I mean, you can even look at it, Toronto, uh, New England, RSL, um, although you do have Colorado, uh, and San Jose, but both of those games are away. Um, and then, uh, September 30th, uh, which is a huge, uh, huge, huge game against the New York Red Bulls. Um, so uh, vice versa, looking over at, uh, you know, the New York Red Bulls, um, they have a slightly linear uh, schedule, although they have DC away, they have Toronto, they have Atlanta, but then you have San Jose, you have Philadelphia, you have Orlando. So, um, you know, not to say uh, those are um, better um, necessarily, but there are less games uh, away at bad locations, right? You're not happy making the, the full cross-country trip um, that you are uh, as Atlanta. So, um, Atlanta you know, hasn't um, really struggled on the road, though. Like it, it doesn't seem to be as big of a obstacle for them. Now, the travel, sure. I mean, I don't know. We, we've flirted with seeing if we could like find... Um, you know, some sort of correlation here in, in, in travel with miles versus like performance. Um, maybe there is. I, yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. <laughs> Atlanta does seem to have a slightly tougher schedule in the, in the run out. But um, again, just like road games just haven't seemed to face them that much. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> here's the thing. They're just a really good team and really good teams don't get faced by road games. That's kind of the difference uh, from like your above average team. Your above average team, when you put them on the road, they're kind of an average-ish team. And I think part of that's also you have most coaches that coach down to being on the road. Um, that's a, that's a purely a theory. That's an opinion. Uh, that's not necessarily in the data, but yeah, it's a reasonable theory. I mean, if based on nothing but just sort of gut check, you do see teams play safer on the road. I think that's probably a fair generalization to make. Yeah, so and that's, you know, I threw it out, uh, what, a couple of weeks ago about, I feel like there's about eight throwaway games over the course of the season, and I think most of those are tied up in uh, away games that are either cross-country or uh, are you know, double up games upon, you know, which you, you, yeah, just basically games that are not advantageous to you within the schedule, um, for a variety of reasons. And 
off the top of my head, I kind of said roughly uh, four to eight games kind of sounded right to me, maybe 10 in certain situations. Um, going to that, I, I feel like uh, New York Red Bulls has kind of played with that this year. And I, I've enjoyed that because I feel like um, they've experimented. They haven't necessarily, and Chris Armas hasn't necessarily uh, been satisfied with just leaving things the status quo and just going about the ways he's trying to make them better. And I feel like he's done that through a, di a, a lot of different ways. Number one, he's tried to sub players, try to give them rests along the way, especially with Aaron Long and Tim Parker being away at national team camp. You also have, I think, Kamar, La uh, Kamar Lawrence. Was he also out at uh, for Jamaica, I think? I think he was also called up. So I think three of the four uh, back line also, uh, and I can't remember if Fidel Escobar was also called up as well. Um, so, I mean, you, you've, you had a, a lot of the back line that was gone. They've played a, a high amount of games in the second half of the season. And I feel like he's done a really good job of making them, uh, giving them rest. And with that, giving them rest, he's also force them to play some tactics that I don't think are always uh, within their skill set. He's put them in positions to where they've had to um, they've had to try to break down in teams. Um, and, and that's partly because he's been aware of teams implementing a certain type of tactics. Just like we talk about how um, if you're playing Atlanta, obviously you're going to try to counter. You're going to try to uh, just make it difficult for Atlanta to break you down, and you're going to hit them in the mouth on the way. Uh, vice versa, uh, uh, the Red Bulls aren't unique. Uh, you're going to try to do whatever you can to, to limit uh, the possession, your possession, and their uh, and their attacking half. I mean, um, that's that you know they're going to want to high press. They're going to want to try to win back the ball immediately, and so long balls over the top and holding possession in your own uh, or in your attacking space is really um, these these are key attributes. Or or even allowing New York to kind of have a bulk of the possession. Um, that's part of what you're going to be trying to do. And I think. Uh, I think Chris Armas has kind of embraced that and has, you know, tactically allowed the Red Bulls to play some, um, play some games that uh, maybe were not suited to what they're naturally best at or what they've drilled the most. Um, I still think that they're going to go back. I think there's going to be a switch here in the last few weeks, and you're going to see the Red Bulls of the first half of the season, and they are going to remind people about how things are. Uh, but that's just my opinion. You know, what's interesting is um, I did a little look at the uh, pre-Armus, post-Armus um, analytics stuff on our, on our did interactive you, did tables. Did you tweet that out? I didn't, no. Um, they are the same, like within tenths of points to each other. I mean, like they are shockingly the same team that they were um, production-wise. And I know that they've gone about it in a different way. Um, but you know, they've, they've dropped like a little bit there, uh, but, but I mean, for the most part, like it's same XG, same shots per game. Like, like it's just, there's nothing significantly different. Um, and yet, you know, we've seen them, you know, kind of drop a little bit the points per game, but I think they've had like a little tougher run of schedule. 
Um, and you're right, and it's amazing that Armist has come in, and he has changed the way they play a little bit, and yet still they're able to produce at uh, the level they were, which is a very high level, which is why they're still in this position. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't count them out either. Um, sounds like we've got like an Ian and Harrison little, little bet here. I'll take I'll take the New York Red Bulls. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I don't want to bet anything serious because I'm risk averse. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just thinking. I'm like thinking yeah. in my head. What would I be willing to bet that I'm willing to actually do? Because yeah. I don't feel like I'd be willing to do a whole lot. Yeah. So maybe it'll just be a friendly bet with no consequences. Like the best bets always are. Those those are the best bets. Yeah, uh, I don't know if listeners have any ideas. You can you can submit them, um, but yeah, it's something to look forward to. Uh, I I think this is a really exciting close to the season. I, I one of the more exciting ones in recent memory, and uh, this is just for the top spot. Like just two through six is also a huge dog pile. Uh, so it, it it could be the table could look. St- exactly like it looks now or it could look completely different and neither one would surprise me that much um as we as we close out this season so um you know tune in and always listen to us too that's uh that's all we uh that's all we have time for this week um follow harrison crow on twitter at harrison underscore crow um follow me on twitter at a handle for ian that's the the word for um Follow American Soccer Analysis. It's at Analysis Evolved. And please visit the website, www.americansocceranalysis.com. We've got lowered expectations. We've got expected narratives. We've got setting the table. We've got XPG stuff up now. We've got the new playoff thing. The interactive tables have X chains and passing on them now. Like, there's even more information, and it's all offered to you, fans of American Soccer, for free because we love you and we lack the confidence to charge for our product. Um, <laughs> we will uh, be back here next week, <laughs> as we are every week. Um, and until then, enjoy the soccer! <laughs> <laughs>